I just want to know how many of you got your happy man meals when you came in? If you didn't get yours, you need to raise your hand and the ushers will bring one to you. Okay, now I know some of you are having trouble. We can actually eat in church, but you know, the early church had it right because they did this whole thing together. They ate and talked and, you know, had the preacher type guy or person up there and also ate while they were doing it and had a lot of fun too. And they didn't always just do it in a one-hour time slot. And so today for Father's Day, in honor of you men, we put together a manly meal. Yes, you will find the new manly Dr. Pepper, as they like to advertise it, with 10 bold calories, just enough to eliminate the wuss factor. We know men do not like diet, okay? But the rest of that stuff is picked or selected with you in mind. My dad went to be a Jesus almost, it was 19 years ago in just a few days. Uh, but a, a few months ago, I received a package from one of my sisters, and in it were some cards and things that he had saved that I had sent to him. And what was interesting for me, I pulled the packet out yesterday. I hadn't really got to look through it, and so I was reading through the cards. And the ones that he chose to save, it was interesting. They were all the ones where I had written a specific note about something that he'd done right and how it had changed or impacted my life. And today, I just want you to know, when we go into this talk about I forgive you, we're not going to talk about your failures today. Today, we're talking about how we respond to the failures that people do to us, the wrongs that happen to us. So we're, we're going to focus on dads on what you got right, and we're going to deal with the stuff that's wrong in our lives. You know, all of us have messed up, haven't we, while someone was watching us? And a lot of us have had those mess-ups happen to us. And we want to explore what those three powerful words, I forgive you, do in our lives when we've been wronged. Now, what if today I told all of you that when we leave here, you can be five pounds lighter? Yeah, we're laughing because you've looked at those happy man meals, right? And you are not going to lose five pounds that way. But what if, what if I told you that you can leave here today five pounds lighter in your soul and with a spirit that's ready to love God more and ready to love the people around us more, have healthier relationships? That's what today is all about. You know, forgiveness is about as manly as you can get. Manly, that word we like to use to refer to traditional qualities that are commonly associated, though not exclusive to, men. Things like courage, things like strength, and a lot of times referring to physical strength. But today, we're going to talk about one guy's story, and he was a man of courage and character. He had the strength to forgive when somebody wronged him. And in this case, it was his own brother's. And we're going to learn from his story some wonderful things for our own lives about what forgiveness does for us. Now, you could read the whole story in Genesis, the 37th chapter through the 50th chapter. Now, are you getting worried? Like, when are we going to get out of here today? Well, we're not going to read the whole story from beginning to end. Now, in some of you bottom line, people are going to love it because I'm going to tell this story in condensed, abbreviated fashion. I'm going to tell you the pertinent facts to what we're going to read about. But the most important piece of Joseph's story, if we're going to learn from it, is to look at the end of the story. Because remember what it says? Consider the outcome of your leader's way of life 
and imitate their faith. So we're taking a look at Joseph's life, and we're going to particularly focus on the end of his story in Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21, if you like to turn in your Bibles. You can hold that spot. Well, it all started when he was 17 years old. Not really. It actually started when he was born. You see, he was the 11th of 11 brothers, and he was born as his father was getting along in age. And his dad made no bones about it. Jacob said, this, this son's my favorite. And he did some things to show that. He gave him this ornate or coat of many colors, as some people like to say. And he gave that coat to him, and his brothers were extremely jealous, like all big brothers would be, and kids tend to be, when a parent favors one over another. But that wasn't enough for their jealous hearts. Because you see, what happened next was at 17, Joseph had this unusual experience. He had two dreams and his dreams appeared to indicate strongly that at some point in the future, those 10 big brothers were going to be subservient to him. They were going to be coming to him, having to rely upon him. And that made them even matter. It says that his brothers actually hated him. So one day, the brothers were out tending the sheep in the region not too far from Canaan. They're in Shechem. And they see Joseph coming from a ways out, and in their hatred for him, they concoct a scheme to get rid of him, the baby brother. And what they decided to do was to throw him in a pit, take that beautiful coat, dip it in some wild animal's blood that they'd slaughter, and take it home to dad and say he got killed by some wild animal, and ask dad to identify the coat as Joseph's. Well, plans changed midstreams because some Midianite merchants showed up, and they sold Joseph to him instead. Thought that was one step better than killing their brother, would be selling him into slavery. And those Midianite merchants then sold him to an official in Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh, the head over, ruler over all of Egypt. So now Joseph, as a 17-year-old young man, is serving as a slave in a foreign country. He distinguished himself so much so, and I'll let you read the story of how, that he became the right-hand man of Pharaoh in Egypt. He was known for his ability to interpret dreams, and he was known for his wisdom, and God gave him amazing wisdom for what was going on in the country. You see, he knew that those dreams were prophetic, and he knew that what God was saying is there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so he told Pharaoh, this is what we need to do. We're going to save up, store up all kinds of food supply during the years of plenty. Then during the years of famine, we'll have it and we'll be able to sell it and, of course, sell it to the surrounding nations as well because this famine came over the whole known world. That's where we pick up Joseph's brothers again because the famine was going on in Canaan too where they lived. And by now, they're running short on food and Jacob had heard that there was food in Egypt. So he sent the boys, these 10 brothers who had indeed sold their brother into slavery, back to Egypt to get some food. And that's when the first encounter that we're not reading about today happened with the brothers. Eventually, they go get dad and bring dad back. And Joseph gets reunited with the father that he hasn't seen in over 20 years. And we pick up the story when dad has passed away. Because dad was very old by the time Joseph got reacquainted with him. Dad's died and the brothers are worried. And now there's a 12th brother who's been added to the mix after Joseph's demise. And it was Benjamin. So the brothers are there, dad is dead, and the boys are worried about their own skin. Let's read what happens in Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. 
It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when this message came to Joseph, he wept. And his brothers then came down and threw themselves before him. We are your slaves, they said. Things are looking a lot like those dreams that Joseph had when he was 17. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Today, what we want to do is we want to just make five observations from Joseph's story of forgiveness. And then I'm going to invite one of our community members here at Evergreen to come up and share his own story about the impact of forgiveness in his life. So observation wonder, number one from Joseph's life, forgiveness is a decision that benefits you and me. Forgiveness, it's a decision to let go of our resentment, to let go of our plans and our hopes and our wishes for revenge or payback, and to let God be the writer of all the wrongs done to us. The word here in the Hebrew literally means to lift up and send away or carry away. And what it's saying is we get to surrender, to lift up the wrongs that were done to us to God. And God carries them away and takes care of them. He's the writer of the wrongs in our life. And we get to choose that. Now the benefits when we make this decision are comprehensive. That is, they impact our spirit. They impact our soul. That is, our emotions and our thoughts. And they impact our body, our physical being. So they impact us spiritually because forgiveness keeps our relationship with God moving forward in intimacy and honesty. But when we refuse to forgive people, to say those three simple words, I forgive you, then there's a wedge driven in our relationship with God. Jesus said it this way. He was talking to a whole crowd of people in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, when you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you your sins. And when you don't forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Those are powerful words. But what was he wanting to say? He said, when we forgive, we turn toward God. God has always turned toward to us. He made that decision when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He's there. It's us who move when we refuse to forgive. We turn toward God and when we refuse to let go of the grudge, we turn away from God. I'm really telling God in so many words when I hold on to a grudge, I've got this one. I can take care of this one on my own. I'll figure it out, I'll work it out. Now the cool thing about Joseph's life is that as much pain and betrayal as he'd experienced, and I didn't even cover the half of it, is that he had an amazing relationship with God. In fact, it was so outstanding that even Pharaoh and his officials recognized the unusual nature of what God was up to in his life. And they made this comment about him in Genesis 41. They said, can 
we find anyone else like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? It was a rhetorical question. You see, they saw gifts and wisdom and the power of God at work through Joseph in a way that they could only attribute to one person, God, creator of all. And Joseph refused to let his pain come between he and his relationship with God. He refused to let that happen. Forgiveness not only benefits us spiritually, but it benefits our soul. Sometimes we forget about that. God made us three parts, and all three parts get affected when we do what he asks or when we don't do what he asks. And this is really the five pounds lighter deal that I was talking about, how we could go home today lighter in our soul and ready to embrace healthier relationships with God and with each other. You see, when we forgive those who have wronged us, we lessen the emotional and the mental grip that those wrongs have on us. And it helps us or frees us up to focus on what's right about our lives. We're actually free then to live in the present instead of the past and to embrace what God wants to do in us and through us now. That's what was happening for Joseph. You know, he had already forgiven his brothers earlier before we ever get to this scene in Genesis 50. For 20 plus years, he had been in Egypt and because he had already forgiven them across the course of that time, he was able to live in the present. And his story was one of helping others, even when he was in prison. His story was one of caring for others. His story was one of healthy relationships, even though he'd been so mistreated himself. Because he was ready to help and comfort and reassure his brothers when they showed up literally on his doorstep because he'd forgiven them long before this. Uh, the question for us is, is there anyone in our life that if they showed up in our lives this week, we wouldn't be ready? We wouldn't be ready to speak kindly to them, to reassure them, to offer assistance of help like Joseph was able to do for his brothers? That's really the test of it. Well, forgiveness not only benefits our soul, that is our mind and our emotions, but it also benefits our body. It promotes physical health. I read a book just this past week called Forgive for Good by a guy named Frederick Luskin because I'd heard that he did some interesting research. And he did this at Stanford. They call it the Stanford Forgiveness Project. He was interested in the impact of forgiveness, spirit, soul, and body. And I'm just going to mention what they discovered about the physical impact of forgiveness. Did you know that it lowers our blood pressure when we forgive people? That it decreases our stress? That it reduces the incidence of depression? That people who are good forgivers have a lot less depression in their lives? It reduces the chance of becoming a substance abuser? Did you know that many people who become abused and addicted, it's related to unresolved pain in their life. And forgiveness is what releases us from that pain. And it reduces stress hormones that we know, hormones like cortisol and things that do all kinds of bad things and add some bad stuff to our lives. Fat in all the wrong places where it hinders our heart health and things like that. I'm not going to get too technical on you, but the study wholeheartedly showed what God already knew that forgiveness was meant to help us, spirit, soul, and body, to benefit us. God asked us to do it, not to be hard on us, but to help us. Jared and I were pastoring in Eugene, Oregon, and 
One night, in the middle of night, we got a call. I picked up the phone, and it was a man who said, identified himself as a police sergeant from the Eugene Police Department. He said the alarm was going off at our church building, and he had followed protocol. We had a list of people to call, and we weren't the first on our staff to be called, but he'd gotten to us on the list. And he said, so uh, could Jared come down, and we're going to do a walkthrough of the facilities, and then he'll need to rearm the building. And we said, okay, Jared threw on some clothes and headed out the door, and just about the time he'd headed out the door, another call came. And this time, the man's voice was not so friendly or official sounding. Instead, this man on the other end of the line said that he was coming over to rape me. And he said it in more graphic terms and with more words than that. And I dropped the phone and I ran to the front door and I yelled for Jared. He was just leaving our cul-de-sac, just a little circle and pulling out. He happened to look in his rear view mirror and saw me and came back. And over the course of the next couple hours, even while we had the police there to report it, he called us five more times. And in it, indicated that he knew our schedule, saying things like, has the little lady gone running yet? And things like that. Well, we were able to address safety issues. We were able to report it. But you know, they never found the specific person. We never knew who it really was. They talked with one potential suspect because of the language that he'd used. Um, we, we could recall one person. That person, we never saw them again. But... We never discovered who it was. Now, you can do safety, and that takes care of the physical person. But something like that happening puts a grenade in your soul and in your spirit. And suddenly, you have to deal with that. And that's where forgiveness comes in. Because it's through forgiveness, even though we never knew it, we had to say, Lord, you're the writer of all wrongs. You know who this is. We ask you to take care of it. I had to lift it up to God. And let God take it away. And that was a process of doing that. You know, somebody may have betrayed you in the deepest possible way. And you can decide to leave that relationship. But that's not going to solve what's happened to you. That's not going to put back to the brokenness that's happened in your soul because of what's happened. Your child can be bullied at a school. And you can transfer them from one school to another school. But by itself, that's not going to heal the inside of that child from being bullied. That's what forgiveness does. That's what's lifting up the wrong and letting God take care of it does. You can be mistreated at work or have an unfair boss. And you can change jobs or move to another division in the company. But that by itself will not heal the brokenness that happens when those kinds of things happen to us. And that's really why this was God's idea. Forgiveness. It's not just a good idea that's helpful to us, but it's God's idea. It was his way to help us get put back together when the bad things in life, the painful things in life, the things we can't control that happen to us happen. God comes and helps us. He takes that and carries it away and is the writer of wrongs. And that brings us to our second observation about forgiveness from Joseph's story. Forgiveness lets go of personal judgment. You let God be the judge. Notice Joseph's words, and these are the words that echo in my mind when I'm ready to be the jury and the judge for a friend or for somebody that's hurt me. 
Am I in the place of God? When I refuse to forgive, I'm putting myself in the place of God. I'm deciding to be the judge. And that's what we have to do. We have to let go of the things that have happened to us. All of us have created what I call grievance stories. Maybe you've went before a grievance committee on a job where you tell the wrong that's been done to you. Think about Joseph's story. He could have told a great one with being betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned, unrequited favors, and the list goes on. I think he could have written 10 country songs, like the one we heard today, to tell the story of how he's been wronged. But you know what? Joseph did not rent out his mental space to rehearsing his grievances. He decided to let God be the writer of the wrongs done to him. And as he did, he began to see what God was up to in the middle of his pain. And when I forgive, I let go of the judgment of that person. Now, letting go is called grieving. Letting go of anything is a grieving process. And that's really messy. There's anger. There's denial. There's bargaining. There's depression. There's acceptance. And eventually, there's healing. And forgiveness can be a process like that. And that process, sometimes it's shorter or longer, depending on what's happened to us. But like letting go of other losses, there will be a day when, like Joseph, we're at the place where the negative emotions are gone, where the mental thoughts of revenge or payback have been silenced, and where that speech that you've rehearsed over and over again, <laughs> that where you'd like to give that person a piece of your mind, come on, I know some of you have done that like me, <laughs> no longer plagues you where you don't even think of it. And that's where Joseph had arrived by the time he encountered his brothers. Otherwise, I think they would have been dead meat, just to be honest. But he wasn't there anymore. This last week, I was talking with a friend, just, we were just sharing our forgiveness stories and and how God had worked in our lives about that. And she shared a story with me that she gave me permission to share. She was a little bit younger mom then. Her kids were just early grade school. And so she found a way to earn money from home doing a home business. And she had sold about $100 worth of product to a woman who lived in her neighborhood, a friend of hers. Now, the woman wrote a bad check for the product. And, but she kept the product even after she was confronted with the bad check. She made no move to make amends, to pay back the money, to do a payment plan or anything like that. She just refused, and she kept the product. And my friend said every day for three years, she drove by her house going to her kid's school and coming home from her kid's school. And every day driving by her house, she'd think about this woman and what she'd done. How, man, you know better than that. That's not how you treat your friends. She had a whole speech rehearsed for her. And she said every day she felt like God was saying, you need to forgive her. Let this go. Give it to me. But every day, she said, my anger and my bitterness, she says, I was just really, I became bitter about it. Finally, after three years, she said, I hate, she says, I'm embarrassed to say it took me three years, but sometimes that's the case. She said, I let go of it. I told God, I forgive her. And within two weeks, her friend, they'd put a for sale sign up and they moved out of the neighborhood. She felt distinctly that God was giving her an opportunity to be set free before her friend moved on because, you see, it's us that needs to be set free. Now, we don't always get to choose what happens to us in our story, but we do get to choose our role in the story. 
We can be, our third observation, we can be a victim or a victor in our story, depending on whether we forgive. Joseph understood this. You see, being a victim identifies me with the pain that's happened. And I always know that I'm still there in my story if I'm still talking about most of the time the, the wrong that was done me and what it's done in my life. And if I'm a victor, I'm identifying with the good that God brought out of the story. And I know I've really moved to that role in my story. I've really taken that position when I can begin to talk about with others the story that I'm telling is what God did because of it. You know, this is what Joseph did. He did this even before he met up with his brothers. In Genesis, the 41st chapter, he's talking about the famine that's about to come. It hasn't quite come yet. He's in the years of plenty. His brothers aren't yet at his doorstep. And he's having his second child, a second boy, and his name was Ephraim. Ephraim means twice fruitful. And Joseph offered this explanation in verse 52 for why he chose that name. He said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. And that's what we get to do. We move, when we forgive, we move from a victim to a victor, from suffering to fruitful. And that's the opportunity for us. That brings us to our fourth observation. Forgiveness has no prerequisites. You all know what prerequisites are. These are the things we're going to require before we give that thing. Or before you take a class at school, there's certain things you have to have had. Sometimes we put those on our forgiveness. One of them that's real common is a sincere apology. Isn't that just a reasonable prerequisite? I will forgive them when they apologize. And by the way, I will be the judge of whether it's sincere or not. So that's one of our prereqs. Well, I'm here to tell you that Joseph would have had to wait more than 20 years to experience the benefits of forgiveness had he waited and required this of his brothers. He wasn't going to see him, and the potential is there to never meet up with the offender. Sometimes that's not even a good idea, and yet we can still be set free. Joseph's 20 years, 20 plus years would have been a lot different. His story would have. Just think with me for a minute. Instead, it could, would have been one filled with nursing his anger and stewing into this wonderful stew that becomes a stew of bitterness and makes him lash out at those around him, causing pain instead of helping him. And he was known for the opposite, for helping people in trouble instead of hurting them as he had been. He could have not trusted anyone again. I mean, if your own brothers will betray you, who's left? It could have kept him from even forming a bond, becoming married. He could have concocted all sorts of payback and revenge plans, like the plan his brother concocted to get back at him in their jealousy. And certainly, he would have spent a lot of mental and emotional space creating all sorts of wonderful speeches for his brothers, should they show up. But instead, even before Jesus came with his example and the cross, he understood his heavenly father. Abba, that he had showed us the way when Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he did. He did. That brings us to our second prereq, restitution. I mean, this is another one that can really trip us up. At least they could pay us back. At least they could make it up in some way. But the truth about restitution is it's often an impossibility, as it was for Joseph's brothers. How do you give somebody back 20 plus years? He didn't get to meet or experience the first 
youthful years of his brother Benjamin who was born after his slavery. He didn't get to spend his father's last few decades of life with him because of what his brothers did to him. There was no way to give that back. And often there is no way to make up entirely the wrongs that were done to us. Restitution's often very unsatisfactory. But in addition to that, restitution is about the offender. And we're not talking about them today. We're talking about us, the forgiver. And God wants us to know that we have the ability to choose to be set free. We don't have to be captive to our offenders' responses, be they good or be they bad. We can let go. Our freedom and forgiveness doesn't depend on their response, but we surrender instead to God. And that brings us to our third and final prereq that some of us put on it, and that is, I call this the fishing prereq. That's right. You know, in fishing, there's a limit often of what you can catch, and there's usually a size parameters that you put on the fish. Some of us do that with forgiveness. We put a limit to the number of times we'll forgive, and we also want to make sure that there's a size limit, too. You, I'll forgive you for this kind of sin, but not this kind of sin. You ever done that? Ever decided that if this ever happens? Well, forgiveness isn't that. It's not like fishing. The wrongs done to Joseph, they were enormous, and they were life-altering for him. But that's not the standard. God's forgiveness is our standard, and his forgiveness is limitless. It doesn't have numbers attached to it, and it doesn't have degrees of wrongness attached to it. It was Peter who asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? He was looking for a limit, to which he offered a generous number. How about seven times? Jesus turned to him and said, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't keep track of 490 times for every person in my life. That's the point. Jesus was saying, forgive as many times as they need it. There's no limit. And that brings us to our final forgiveness observation from Joseph's story. Forgiveness does not condone the wrong that was done. That trips a lot of people up. They think, if I forgive them, that's like saying it was okay. Like what they did was harmless. Like it was no big deal in my life. And it was a big deal. But forgiveness is anything but condoning or saying that the wrong was okay. And Joseph had no confusion about this. He did not change the facts of his story with his forgiveness. You notice what he said? You, that's right, you brothers intended to harm me. His forgiveness in no way changed that fact. He didn't try to dress it up. He didn't try to use pretty words. That's what you intended, but he focused on what God wanted to do. You see, he rewrote the ending of his story, the part where we learn how the wrongs that happened to him positively impacted his life. Now, I've asked James Gerber, our worship arts pastor, to come and share how forgiveness has impacted his and his family's life. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for uh, listening to me here. Um, I'm excited to get to share with you guys because usually uh, I'm sharing with you in a different way. I'm usually leading worship or uh, singing with you guys. And tonight uh, or this morning, I get to share a little bit of my story and a little bit about my upbringing as a, as a kid. And uh, 
You know, for most of you guys, I, most people know who their dad is. Uh, I'm the exception. I, I don't know who my biological uh, dad is, and so I was raised not knowing who my biological father was. And uh, that being that I was a one-night stand baby, uh, my, mom, uh, my mom was either a combination of too drunk and, uh, and had too many partners in too short of a period of time, and she was unaware who got her pregnant. So she never knew who my dad was. I never knew who my dad was, and I lived life not knowing that. Uh, about a year after I was born, uh, my, my mom met my stepdad, who I'm going to refer to as my dad for the rest of the story, because he ended up raising me. And uh, uh, they ended up being together for 20 plus years and uh, had five more kids together. So I was one of eight kids. Um, throughout my growing up, they both struggled tremendously with drug and alcohol addiction. Uh, my mom, more on the alcohol side, my dad was uh, alcohol plus uh, hard drugs. So his drugs of choice were crack, uh, crack cocaine and methamphetamines. And uh, my parents, of course, were constantly fighting about that stuff. I remember growing up, the topic of conversation, the topic of fighting most times was, uh, was due to my dad spending all the money on drugs. So he would get paid, he would take his paycheck, he'd get it cashed, and then he would disappear. He'd disappear for maybe just overnight sometimes, sometimes it'd be days, and he would have a binge and he'd spend all that money and as a result, uh, a lot of times, you know, my dad was showing that he had a paycheck, so it was a little difficult to get assistance. When somebody's getting paid, money's going somewhere. Uh, so a lot of times, we didn't have heat. We didn't have, uh, we didn't have power. We didn't have water. Uh, we generally had food, because we had food stamps usually always, so we weren't hungry, but we might have been cold. Uh, a story to kind of illustrate that, uh, growing up, uh, I remember this uh, several times, but one time in particular, uh, waking up in the middle of the night during winter time and it just being freezing cold. Uh, I, my bedroom was upstairs. So I went downstairs. Uh, I think I'd wet the bed or something like that. But uh, the, a way to supplement that heat, what my mom did is she would turn the oven on bake and she would open the door of the oven and she put a box fan on the door of the oven to blow that heat, that hot air out. So I remember sitting in front of the uh, oven to try to get my hands warm and, and, and not shiver anymore and get warm. And once I got warm, I was able to go back uh, go back to bed and uh, and go to sleep. Uh, so I, I remember hating my mom and dad for stuff like that. I and mean, it was stuff where I, I just kind of said, hey, I like, why can't we be normal people? Like, why can't we just do normal stuff like normal people? Like, we, why do I have to experience this? And I also remember having kind of that fear, that feeling of fear and hopelessness that this is a trap that we're always going to be in. I'm always going to be experiencing this. And just that emptiness of how's this going to change? And I, I, I'm pretty sure that that's what my mom experienced most of the time as well, too. And that feeling of, uh, I think mostly because she stayed with him. Uh, she took him back over and over again. And I know that that, that feeling of, what if I don't take him back, then what's going to happen? You know, who's going who's gonna to take back somebody that has eight kids and no income and doesn't work? And, uh, you know, that feeling, of course, was obviously overwhelming for her. And that's where she took him back several times. Um, so my outlet, my response to that kind of lifestyle was essentially pouring my life into something else, you know, being, doing what I could do to be away. So I ended up pouring my life into school and athletics and uh, really, I think, just to get away from the craziness. I uh, ended up being an honor student through junior high uh, and grade school and junior high and ended up being team captain of my wrestling and football team uh, and had, even had perfect attendance, which is crazy because my brothers and sisters they all missed school, like, every day. You know, they never went. We never were made to go, necessarily. So for some reason, I went to school, had perfect attendance. Uh, my, my freshman year um, of high school, 
tended to, it kind of was that time when that changed. Uh, they, for my parents, that was probably the time where their drug and alcohol addiction uh, was the worst that had been. Uh, you know, a lot more heavy drinking, a lot more fighting. Uh, I ended up being the babysitter. I was the oldest, so I was the third. I was the third. My two older sisters had run away and lived other places with boyfriends or friends. Um, and so for me, it was just kind of that overwhelming tipping point. Um, for the first time ever, I was doing terrible in school. Uh, I had got, I think I'd failed two classes, got a couple Ds and a couple Cs. And at that point for me, I had never even gotten a C before. I remember in junior high, I almost got a C one time and I cried because I was, I didn't, I could not fathom not getting an A or a B and it freaked me out and I lost control, you know. So I ended up getting a B though. I did get like an 80% and just barely squeaked by. And uh, so my, my, Aunt and uncle had kind of seen that potential, seen potential and said, hey, you know, you're driven, you're a little different than the kids, come live with us. We want to give you the opportunity to live uh, with us and, and see how that goes. So it was kind of a more stable place for me to be able to study and, uh, and all that stuff. And I started to excel again uh, in sports, and I really put my hope, kind of my hope and my energy and my effort, all that kind of into wrestling. That was the one thing that I was really good at. I made varsity as a freshman, and... Uh, which was not very common. Uh, my dad uh, was there at, at most of my matches, actually. So he was out of my life uh, to some extent, but in my life because he came to my matches. The downside is that my dad came to my matches, and of course, he had, would drink before. So he'd smell like alcohol, or he'd be buzzed, or he'd be very drunk, and sometimes he'd be high. Because, you, you know, you can just tell from seeing his face. If you've been around it, you know he's, he's been, he, he got high recently. You can just tell from looking. And so... Uh, he was out of my life, but really in the forefront of my mind. I think mostly, uh, I think it was that coupled with my brothers and sisters were still enduring that. They were still living through all that. You know, they had to live through the abuse and the, the drug and the, the fighting and all of that stuff. They continued to live through that. And, and eventually I actually moved home. I, I don't remember the reasoning, but I think it was because I wanted to help. I wanted to be there. I missed my brothers and sisters. They were enduring that. I wasn't. So my sophomore year, I lived at home again. And everything kind of started falling apart again. Uh, I was, the, the sports thing was central. So I got beat out for varsity for wrestling. I had tried, I had, uh, it was a wrestle-off. I got beat. I wrestled off again. I got beat again. And for me, uh, that was the first time that I hadn't been like the team captain or like the guy who exceeded expectation or somebody who was outstanding or better than other people. And uh, it was one of those few things that I, I think I had that escape. That was one of the few things I had that I could control and that slipped away. And in addition to that, my grades slipped too. So uh, I, I remember being phys- just feeling physically sick, you know, like I, like I just didn't want to get up. I felt worn out, like tired all the time, depressed, had major depression, just trying to get through life and, and ho- hoping that it would get better. And, and the rest of that year uh, and my junior year, uh, I think my, my love for the fine arts grew. Um, and I started, I loved painting and, and drawing and sculpting and those things. And so it, it was kind of appropriate because I got really, like, depressed and internal and my artistic side, of course. You know, you get depressed and you start painting. That's what you do. You do art. That's what you do. So it really worked out. Really worked out well. My, so my, uh, that junior year, it was pretty obvious that God was up to something. At the time, it didn't seem like, you know, I, I was not recognizing it. But looking back, I can see that God was not very hidden about his intentions, and he was very obvious that he was doing something in my life. And so, so one of the things he was up to, uh, in my art class that I was in, uh, we had assigned seating. Well, the assigned seating was this. 
I, was, I think I was in the back row. In front of me, to, just directly in front of me was a Christian. Directly in front of me there was another Christian. To my side was another Christian. And to my side was another Christian. They all knew each other. They all went to the same church, the same youth group. And there's this guy kind of in the mix of it, right? Uh, at sort of a low point in life. And I, uh, on top of that, there was a girl that I rode the bus with every day. And she happened to be a Christian too. And it wasn't just like the, the school bus. It was the public bus, too. So all of these factors that kind of made it like, well, this is like far beyond a coincidence, right? So it was a public bus. We lived out of district. So we lived in like the, the worst area of town, rode the bus to get to that worst area of town. We happened to get off at the same stop. We happened to walk like four blocks before we got to her house, her house first, and then I continued to walk and went to my house. So all of those things, of course, it, it, to me, is just insane looking back. and like, wow, that is, that is intervention right there. So, so, of course, she was a good Christian. So she witnessed to me, uh, every day, pretty much. She told me that, uh, she told me how much God loved me. Uh, she invited me to church all the time. She talked to me about the fact that I didn't have to continue to do the kinds of patterns and things that I'd seen in my, in, with my family. I didn't have to live like that. I didn't have to experience that and go through those same things. And eventually, of course, we became good friends. And then eventually the kids in the, the Christian kids in our class, they became my friends too. They were great, you know. There was something that was similar between her and them. And they had great families, and they cared. And, uh, and of course, they invited me to church, too. So they invited me to Life Center. Life Center is the church that I uh, ended up being on staff at, and I, I came here uh, from there. And it's actually Ann's brother, Joe, is the senior pastor there. So there's kind of that connection. Uh, anyway, I, I went to Life Center. Probably about six months, I, I decided that I was going to give my life to Christ. So I repented of my sin and uh, turned my life around and... Uh, and really came to grips with a lot of the stuff that I had been experiencing through my life that some of it wasn't my fault. A lot of it wasn't my fault. And, uh, and really started to walk with Jesus. So um, I began walking with Jesus and a witness to my family too. And it wasn't just like I began to tell them about God and stuff, things like that. It wasn't just about telling them. It was that I witnessed to them by my life being different, right? So I wasn't into the same kind of things that they were into more. I wasn't as drawn in by the, the fights and the conversation. I, my life was completely different, and it was noticeable to them. So fast forward a couple years. Uh, I graduate from high school. I'm going to college, uh, which both of those things, kind of a big deal. Those were both firsts. So I was the first person on my side of the family to ever graduate from high school, my mom's side of the family, uh, and of course then the first person to go to college. And of the eight kids in my family, I have a brother who's a junior, in junior high right now. Um, none of the other kids have graduated uh, from high school. So I was the only one to graduate from high school by God's grace. I don't know how or why. <laughs> uh, so my relationship essentially was changing with my family is what I'm getting at. So I have a big conversation with my dad. One conversation, one night with my dad, and he asked me big questions. And some of the questions, here's the questions. He asked me why I still wanted to be around him. He asked me why... Uh, I would talk to him, but the other kids wouldn't talk to him anymore, and they hated his guts. Why was that? He asked me why I thought that uh, I took a different path than the rest of the kids. What, what, what was it that made me not want to do drugs and follow exactly the same footsteps? What was it that uh, made me not want to go drink my life away? You know, my sisters, two teen pregnancies between two of my younger sisters. Um, my brothers, I had brothers and sisters addicted to the same kind of drugs as my dad, and he was wondering why. So I told him. I said, I said, um, it's because of the forgiveness of Jesus, and it's because he loves me, and because he loves people and wants to see their lives changed. 
uh, and, and he had transformed my life is what I told him. So that conversation um, ended up being the first time that I was able to tell my dad to his face that I had forgiven him. And I told him, I forgive you. I, so I told him I forgive him for everything that he'd ever done. Uh, all the stuff that he had done to me, to my mom and my sisters, that I didn't want to hold those over his head anymore. The weight of those things he didn't have to carry anymore. I just let him know that I completely forgave him. And more than that, I also let him know, hey, I was forgiven of my sin too. Not just from people, but also from Jesus. And you have the opportunity to be forgiven as well too. So I shared that with him. And it wasn't right then. He didn't have this like conversion moment that happened right there. It was probably early on in his thought process even. But within a couple of months, he gave his life to Christ. He got saved. He and shortly thereafter, I had the pleasure. I got to baptize my dad. My sister, I had to baptize one of my sisters. I got to baptize my stepsister. And I got to uh, baptize my stepmom, who's now married to my dad. And they were dating at the time. So I got the pleasure of baptizing all of them. And they all said that I had played a role in their life that ended up leading them to Jesus. And so that was a really, that was really cool. That was, a, that was a big deal. Um, so my dad has been drug-free now for several years, which is really awesome, uh, incredible, after decades of addiction. I mean, uh, and and uh, he's, he's active at a church. He's attending a church. He's drumming. He's doing stuff. He's involved. And, um, and we have a great relationship now, which is incredible. Uh, we talk on the phone on pretty much a weekly basis, sometimes a couple times a week. He just calls to check up, uh, and, which is pretty awesome. Um, and I think just the, the story of what God did was incredible. And I think it all hinged on forgiveness. I think that was the big, the big thing in my life that marked the, the major moments in my life was what I did with forgiveness, whether it was uh, extending it to somebody or extending God's forgiveness to other people to let them see what that looked like. Those are the big points in my life. So with all the stuff that I endured, the ugly things that I endured, I believe that I was driven away. I believe that I was hurt. I believe that I was wounded so that, and in the so that, God's, you find God's purpose in, this, in the so that. It was so that, as in like, God was purposeful in letting me endure that stuff so that I could someday go back to my family and I could offer that forgiveness and that salvation um, and that healing to my family. I believe that he let me go through that on purpose, intentionally, so that I could be a forgiver. And I believe that I'm called like Joseph and like Jesus to be a wounded healer who, who brings that hope and that forgiveness, but not condemnation. You know, a lot of times we have wounds, and what do we do? We turn around with our wounds and our hurts, and we say, I'm going to hurt because I was hurt. And, and what Jesus is wanting us to do is to give forgiveness with the wounds that we've been given, to turn around and be a wounded healer who heals other people that are hurting. And I can say, with, I can say because of my story, that God was in it, absolutely, no doubt. He was in the bad stuff and the good stuff. And my, I think what resonates with me, that, that, uh, that quote by Joseph in Genesis 50 that Ann shared earlier, it says, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And uh, I think because of my story, I think I can believe that 100%, fully, I can believe that. Um, and that's my story. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> thank you.
So the question, that's James' story. What about your story? What about my story today? I'm going to invite you to. Sometimes if you're new here, sometimes we ask people to close their eyes. That's more so we can be free of distractions. God can talk to us when we're driving a car, when we're uh, you know, working. We know that, but it helps us sometimes to close our eyes. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for a minute and think and listen to the Spirit of God who speaks. And he speaks oftentimes. It's those thro- thoughts that cross your mind. You know if he's speaking to you today. He's been addressing you. And here's some of the things I just want to pose to you as you think about it with him. Is, is there anybody that you need to forgive today? Is there any person that if they showed up on your doorstep this week, you wouldn't be ready for them because you haven't let go of it? And today can be the day that you let go of it, that you walk out of here lighter.